Innsmouth, an H.P. Lovecraft podcast where we read most of H.P. Lovecraft's works. Uh, today, uh, we'll be reading Call of Cthulhu, and with me is a, a, a twink from an art school having some spooky dreams, Jesse. Hi, I had some really confusing dreams last night, and I realized a, a deep truth about myself. <laughs> yeah, we're in Call of Cthulhu. It has everything you could want in it. Nautical murder, art school twinks having spooky dreams, uh, little statuettes that a bunch of scientists are manhandling, uh, <laughs> boats, just a bayou shenanigans, yeah, worldwide bayou. cults, just everything you could want out of an H.P. Lovecraft story. Yeah. Say, upon the tides and rising out of the sea, uh, I hear upon the wind that there maybe is a blurb about this story, Jesse? Um, well, I had a, a deep dream last night that, uh, where I heard uh, an ancient language that drove me mad. And it said, uh, this momentous story, which introduced the Ursat mythology that came to be called... The Cthulhu Mythos was written in the summer of 1926. Lovecraft came up with the plot synopsis as early as August 1925, but could not write the story until he returned to Providence. Several literary influences have been put forth, ranging from Guy de Maupassant, the Horla, to A. Moritz, the Moonpool, to Theosophical Writings. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Do I have a... Uh... Wait, let me see what I have um, here. No, that's to, right. You have some I of those. I need to discuss. I have to discuss a little bit uh, about the theophysy. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that. Wait, do I have a sad... Wait, do I have a sad uh, trombone? No, I don't. You just have okay, the booze. So, theophysy is a... Well, theophysy is a... One of the... um. First off, I had a lot going to it. They're going for it. Uh, it was like this, like quasi-intellectual spiritual movement, um, where some people believe that there was this great uh, library in the sky that only certain people, that only one person could go, which had like all of past, present, and futures knowledge. Um, but basically, a lot of it it split off to a lot of uh, different groups of occult belief. And one of those just happened to inspire a lot of the Nazi stuff. Woo! So, yeah, I don't have all of it, but you know how like organic farming is a thing. Yes, I do. Would I th- you? Did would you guess a proto-Nazi made it? No. Uh, well, yes, I should say actually, I'm not very surprised. <laughs> well, it's, the thing is, like the whole thing of like uh, purity and food, uh, very much was rooted in a um. How do I put this? Uh, some people thought the Jews were doing too much with farming. <laughs> you got to get the Jews out of it. Oh my god, my food's. Too I don't know Jewish. how else to say that. How am I supposed to eat this challah bread? <laughs> but like, 
but like it was basically white people reinventing things that native people have been doing all for oh, a long yeah, time. Yeah, that does not surprise um, me in the least, actually. And and it's because there's too many Jews. Oh, I see. So you know, I'm not sure if like Lovecraft was like getting that part because there was like some fairly, I would say, benign feeling stuff, but it did lead into Nazism. Uh, because the one offshoot of the Theosophical Society was the Thule. Oh, yeah, the Thule Society. Thule Society, which was directly involved in Nazi shit. Yeah, the Nazis. So, yeah, they, uh, that the Nazis were the Thule Society. The Thule Society were Nazis. Also, also another thing, uh, caring about nature and uh, wanting to be organic or... Blah blah blah. It's not a left wing thing. In fact, it's it's a it's a way that a lot of people bring in people who are a little bit more left to yeah. being Nazis. <laughs> it sounds very eco fascist. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, e- eco fascism is a thing that still bothers me a lot. Woo! It should always bother me. But uh, but yeah. So <clears throat> uh, but Lovecraft had synthesized these. Malfarious sources into something entirely new that it wasn't initially rejected by weird tales again they don't know what a good goddamn story is fuck you weird tales yeah and also by the obscure pulp mag- magazine uh, mystery stories but upon donald windrill's success uh, suggestion lovecraft resubmitted it to weird tales and it appeared in the february 1928 issue. Ooh. So, um, hey, Weird Tales, learn what a good story is. Damn, right? But guess what? Weird Tales, your stuff is only, a, like, when people say Weird Tales now, they think of Lovecraft. Yeah. Not a, so, fuck off. <laughs> I don't know. The Call of Cthulhu by H.P. Lovecraft. Found among the papers of the late Francis Wayland Thurston of Boston. Of such great powers or beings, there may be conceivably a survival. A survival of hugely remote period when consciousness was manifested, perhaps in shapes and forms long since withdrawn before the tide of advancing humanity. Forms of which poetry and legend alone have caught a flying memory and called them gods. Monsters, mystical beings of all sorts and kinds. Algaron Blackwood. Chapter 1. The Horror in Clay. The most merciful thing in the world, I think, is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. The sciences, each straining in its own direction, have hitherto harmed us little, but some day the piecing together of dissociated knowledge will open up such terrifying vistas of reality, and of our frightful position therein, that we shall either go mad from the revelation or flee from the deadly light into the peace and safety of a new dark age. That is a banger of a first paragraph. (laughs) And it's pretty good. Like, there's, there's a reason why this story uh, started an entire mythos. Mythos, yeah. Yeah. Damn. A, I forgot how good that was. It's, like, real good. You know, like, when you read something good, and you're just like, wow, that's good? <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
Especially re- after reading some subpar stories, definitely. Yeah. Like, Cool Air was really good, but, um, yeah. Damn. You can tell when HP is on his A game. Yeah, and apparently it's like, you know, a few years before he got stomach cancer. Um, so <laughs> Also, uh, written in summer, because I think he was less depressed. You know, could. <laughs> could be that. I don't know, I get depressed in summer all the time. I See, I feel a little better in summer. I, I, I act- feel best during autumn and spring, though. See, like, I, I think I'd be happiest if I was just in a cave and I never knew what season <laughs> it was. So If I never knew what the sun was. Yeah. Ooh, Jesse, we're getting into some theosophy. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. Theosophists have guessed at the awesome grandeur of the cosmic cycle, wherein our world and human race form transient incidents. They have hinted at strange survivals in terms which would freeze the blood if not masked by a bland optimism. But it is not from them that there came the single glimpse of forbidden aeons, which chills me when I think of it, and maddens me when I dream of it. That glimpse, like all dread glimpses of truth, flashed out from an accidental piercing. Together of separated things... In this case, an old newspaper item and the notes of a dead professor. I hope that no one else will accomplish this piecing out. Certainly, if I live, I shall never knowingly supply a link in so hideous a chain. I think that the professor, too, intended to keep silent regarding the part he knew, and that he would have destroyed his notes had not sudden death seized him. You know, like, a lot of Lovecraft stories would just be avoided if, like, people... Just, just like, threw their notes in a fire. <laughs> <laughs> if people just weren't, yeah. Or didn't just die. God. Like, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm built different. You know, I'll, 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 <laughs> we've said this before. We've said this before, but, like, I don't think people from the early 1900s knew what, knew what scary was. No. Like, like if what I, just- like, if an octopus showed up and was like, yo, I'm here to take over the world. I would simply punch it in the face. I mean, I feel like if someone was just like, yo, look, this this person keeps on dreaming about this thing that wants to destroy us. <sighs> Stop dreaming, dude. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Don't do what your dream is saying, please. <laughs> I had a dream that my family owned a kangaroo. Do you have any other input? <laughs> Also, I don't understand what's so scary about Shadow Over Innsmouth. They're just fish people. Just fuck them. Just fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> They're just sexy, sexy fish people. You're acting like that's a problem. <laughs> they made a whole movie about fucking them. It's real good. It's so good. It's excellent. It's also a spy thriller. Uh, and a period piece. And also, that fish man is real sexy. It's a pish and dick. I also would fuck him. Yes. Also, they turn you, it turns you into like one of it. It gives you ability to breathe. Which I mean, the only thing the only thing keeping me from going into water is the inability to breathe in it. Really? So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, like if I could breathe water, I'd be in water all the time, constantly. But yeah, <sighs> one of these days I'm <laughs> going to be able dream. to breathe water. We can dream. We could dream of fucking a fish person and also getting the ability to breathe water (laughs) sometime during the process. (laughs) Nice.
My knowledge of the thing began in the winter of 1926 to 27, with the death of my granduncle George Gamel Engel, professor emeritus of Semitic languages in Brown University, Providence, Rhode Island. Professor Engel was widely known as an authority on ancient inscriptions and had frequently been resorted to by the heads of prominent museums so that his passing at the age of 92 may be recalled by many. Locally, interest was intensified by the obscurity of the cause of death. The professor had been stricken whilst returning from the Newport boat, falling suddenly, as witnesses said, after having been jostled by a nautical-looking man who had come from one of the queer dark courts on the precipice hillside which formed a shortcut from the waterfront to the deceased home in William Street. Physicians were unable to find any visible disorder, but concluded after perplexed debate that some obscure lesion of the heart, induced by the brisk ascent of so steep a hill by so elderly a man, was responsible for the end. At the time, I saw no reason to dissent from this dictum, but latterly, I am inclined to wonder, and more than wonder. He got, so he got jostled a little too hard. Faith. Yeah. Faith. Yeah. How does one look nautical? <laughs> they, they have a, they, they're wearing one of those little sailor hats with the ribbon. They got on one of those little sailor suits. Uh, and their mom, when she's feeling in good humor, takes them out to see the ships because they have a, been a good little lad. So, so did they? Did they get jostled? Are are they are they doing bad because they got shaking babies? Disease? <laughs> oh, like no. they're like a little. They're like little. They're like they look nautical, and someone's just like, and they, they shook themselves like into like a <laughs> nearly fatal disease. <laughs> <laughs> they saw the little lollipops that they were that they had, and they were like, "No, I want it. It's too exciting." But yeah, I imagine. <laughs> Just this large man, but like in one of those sailor suits that a child would wear. <laughs> yeah. As my granduncle's heir and executor, for he died a childless widower, I was expected to go over his papers with some thoroughness, and for that purpose moved his entire set of files and boxes to my quarters in Boston. Much of the material, which I correlated, will be later published by the American Archaeological Society. But there was one box which I found exceedingly puzzling, and which I felt much averse from shewing to other eyes. It had been locked, and I did not find the key until it occurred to me to examine the personal ring which the professor carried always in his pocket. Then, indeed, I succeeded in opening it. But when I did, so seemed only to be confronted by a greater and more closely locked barrier. For what could be the meaning of the queer clay boss relief and the disjointed jottings, ramblings, and cuttings which I found? Had my uncle in his latter years become credulous of the most superficial impostures? I resolved to search out the eccentric sculptor responsible for this apparent disturbance of an old man's peace of mind. I wanna, I wanna know something real quick. Like, what, what, what? Like, how did he know that key was in the pocket? Like, it was always jingling, jangling? Maybe. Well, he was probably like, oh, yeah, my uncle always had a key ring. Maybe it's on there. But, like, I feel like if you have a bunch of files, which you could have just thrown into, I don't know, a fire. Um, 
like or the ocean you're right next to the ocean yeah well see the deep ones might get it and then be like oh fuck i can summon a cthulhu although the deep ones probably want to want to cover i forget which one the deep ones worship is it cthulhu it's cthulhu it's either cthulhu or dagon i think it's dagon okay because there wouldn't be a church. It would. It's a church of Dagon and and Shadowburn's. Ah, uh, yes. So, yeah, it's Dagon. So yeah, it's Dagon. So like, would Dagon want a Cthulhu? Probably not. You know, I don't think so. And like Dagon, uh, in the in the Cthulhu mythos, is already on Earth. So whatever. Yeah. Like I don't know. Maybe maybe some of the deep ones are like I don't know. I don't I don't, I don't like Dagon. Everyone's just like. <gasps> <laughs> drama among the deep ones so boy (laughs) yeah and then and then like you know you get these these uh these papers just fall like on top of the water just like oh shit there's a cthulhu oh fuck what i can i can learn pleasure and pain beyond human comprehension oh wait what wait i already know that yeah, we we fuck. we fuck all the time and it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> but also like it feels good. It's uh, anyways. <laughs> the boss relief was a rough rectangle less than an inch thick and about 5 by 6 inches in area. Obviously of modern origin. Its designs, however, were far from modern in atmosphere and suggestion. For although the vagarities of cubism and futurism are many and wild, they do not often reproduce that cryptic regularity which lurks in prehistoric writing. In writing of some kind, the bulk of these designs seem to certainly be. Though my memory, despite much familiarity with the papers and collections of my uncle, failed in any way to identify this particular species, or even to hint at its remotest affiliations. Yeah, that cubism's just wild. What it, what am I looking at? A nose or a titty? <laughs> both. <laughs> it's both. It's a it's a nose and a nitty. A toes. Yeah. A tizzy. Oh, no. 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 No, you can't do this, Faith. What? No. You can't you can't make it a toes. A toes. That's, <laughs> that's bad. That's bad. I like nitty better. I don't like that either. Actually, that sounds like a slur. Never mind. It might be a slur. I don't know. See, the thing is, anything that sounds like a slur could turn into a it's slur very easily. It's probably a slur somewhere. Tizzy would yeah. be good. Yeah. Tizzy is already a word for something, so I feel safe about that. <laughs> Above these apparent hieroglyphs was a figure of evidently pictorial intent. Though its impressionistic execution forbade a very clear idea of its nature, it seemed to be a sort of monster or symbol representing a monster of a form which only a diseased fancy could conceive. If I say that my somewhat extravagant imagination yielded simultaneous pictures of an octopus, a dragon, and a human caricature, I shall not be faithful to the spirit of the thing. A pulpy, tentacled head surmounted a grotesque and scaly body with rudimentary wings, but it was the general outline of the whole which made it most shockingly frightful. Behind the figure was a vague suggestion of a cyclopean architectural background. Okay, I like to think that uh, Lovecraft just 
doesn't know what a hot fish person looks like. Um, <laughs> and like Cthulhu is just like real hot. <laughs> <laughs> Too hot. Can't describe it. I like also that he's like, I'm not going to describe it. And then he describes it. <laughs> also, also a vague hint of Cyclope. That what means. Does- what? Okay, first off, that b- cyclopean means big. It means real big. How can something be vaguely big? It's it's just uh, actually, you know what? It's like short e- people who have tall energy. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah, it short people energy. have tall energy. Yeah, <laughs> like Pooja, who <laughs> we all yeah. thought was tall. <laughs> she gives off real tall energy. But it's actually like I think same height as me. Yeah. The writing accompanying this oddity was, aside from a stack of press cuttings in Professor Engel's most recent hand, and made no pretense to literary style. What seemed to be the main document was headed Cthulhu Cult, and characters painstakingly printed to avoid the erroneous reading of a word so unheard of. The manuscript was divided into two sections, the first of which was headed 1925, Dream and Dream Works of H.A. Wilcox, 7 Thomas Street, Providence, Rhode Island. And the second, Narrative of Inspector John R. Legrasse, 121 Bienville, uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, at 1908 AASMTG. Notes on Sam and Professor Webb's account. The other manuscript pages were all brief notes some of them accounts of the queer dreams of different persons some of them citations from theosophical books and magazines some of them was about how like like your friend that you've been like like friends with for a long time is like starting to look like like real cute lately um, <laughs> <laughs> like, like like your hands touched the other day and like you got like a little like you've got flustered and you don't really know what that's about but like you know, like how how do you navigate that? Like, what do you, you know, do? Like, like you want you don't want to ruin the friendship by like exploring something that might not be a thing. But like, how how do you explore it? You know, it's just yeah, it's hard times, buddy. Hard know. times. One one of these days, those queer dreams were just turned into queer reality. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, a queer reality that I've always wanted. <laughs> Some of them were books that they were like these stories about fucking fish people. Just too sexy, though. Couldn't read it. Like, and honestly, I don't think the fucking fish people was like like queer. It was just like a natural reaction. Yeah. You were like, damn, that, those are some sexy, sexy fish people. What well, I mean, what else are you supposed to do? <laughs> uh... Some of them citations from theosophical books and magazines, notably W. Scott Elliott's Atlantis and the Lost Lemuria, and the rest comments on long-surviving secret societies and hidden cults, with references to passages in such mythological and anthropological source books as Fraser's Golden Bow and Miss Murray's Witch Cult in Western Europe. The cuttings largely alluded to Atur mental illnesses, and outbreaks of group folly or mania in the spring of 1925. Did he just read that book recently, The Witch Cult in Eastern Europe? Uh, like, has he mentioned it in a couple stories? Yeah, a couple already. stories ago, they mentioned, like, yeah, he references this book uh, because he, he probably like, read it. 
But wasn't he like ragging on it? Yeah, he was like this is bullshit. And um, this... I can't remember which one. The unnameable. The unnameable. No, that was the uh, the. Oh no, that was Cotton Mathers. <sighs> Cotton Mathers, something Christie. But it has been mentioned before in like other prologues. The first half of the principal manuscript told a very peculiar tale. It appears that on March 1st, 1925, a thin, dark man of neurotic and excited aspect had called upon Professor Angle, bearing the singular clay boss relief, which was then exceedingly damp and fresh. His card bore the name of Henry Anthony Wilcox, and my uncle had recognized him as the youngest son of an excellent family, slightly known to him, who had latterly been studying sculpture at the Rhode Island School of Design and living alone at the Florida Lace Building near that institution. Wilcox was a precocious youth of known genius, but great eccentricity, and from childhood excited attention through the strange stories and odd dreams he was in the habit of relating. He called himself psychically hypersensitive, but the stead folks of the ancient commercial city dismissed him as merely queer. You know what? <laughs> psychically, psychically hy- uh, hyper hypersensitive just means you're sad. You can just kind of calm down. The- you know what? I'm really psychic sensitive to just cats. I cry looking at cats all the time. Same. Like, like you don't. It's you're not special. I got more shrimps yesterday, and I almost cried. Like. Like, like, I'm not joking. Like, when I see cute pictures of cats, my first reaction is I want to cry because I can't hug them. Uh, like this, this weekend, I discovered that my shrimp tank has baby shrimps in it, and like, I cried. I was so excited. I was so happy. I cried because there's there's little baby shrimps. <laughs> they're so small, Jesse. They're so small and they're orange. They're, they're so brightly colored. They're going to be so easily caught in, in nature. Yeah, that's why I take care of them. So, so they don't get it. I don't know. I love them. Uh, I don't know. Your axolotl might learn how to jump. <laughs> she can, but she also can't survive out of water. So it's uh... like, I was going to ask that. Can I was going to ask, can, can no. axolotls be out of water? And no. Apparently they can't. They are purely aquatic. Okay, what about this? They jump. Yeah, uh, my shrimp tank is in the living room. Metzli's tank is in my room. There's about a hun- there's about a hundred feet and several walls in the way. <laughs> they have hands. <laughs> they can't do anything with their hands, Jesse. Guess what? No, no. Guess what? <laughs> I think I think Metzli is actually very smart, and you're just. Uh, Discounting them Mitzley, because okay, Bitsley is extremely smart for an axolotl, but she's still also an axolotl, Jesse. Wait, aren't aren't axolotls stuck in like dumb teen phase forever? Yeah, they're babies essentially. Uh, they're they're stuck in the phase of salamanders. That's like tadpoles to frogs, but they naturally occur. Yeah. Uh, that's there's also weird. mud puppies that also are in the same. Like, they're what? also neonatal, and then ohms in Europe are the same way as well. Well, ohms are weird. They just don't have- they, their eyes and They also are... live in caves, and they're very long. You should get- you should get an ohm, and they get an- and then- and then get a- what's a mud puppy look? It, does mud puppies look like mud cats? 
Uh, yeah, actually. I think mudkips are based on mud puppies. Mud puppy. Mud puppy. I would love... You can get mud puppies. I think olms are considered endangered, so I would not contribute to that. See, okay, mud, mud puppies look like mean axolotls. They do, don't they? <laughs> they look very much like a mean... Like, actually, like... like it's like that meme where, like, my 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 personality and my my style, yeah. uh, and and the mud puppy is like the, the where they're mean and the yeah and it it axolotls just look like what what if what if like fish had hands. I used to have a, a like a toy version of it of a mud puppy that I was obsessed with. So, like, imagine the euphoria felt when I found out that axolotls were a thing and that I could purchase one. I was over the moon. I was so excited. I think I learned that you can eat axolotls before I realized you could have the best pets. No, uh, remember, because we went over this, because you were like, axolotls, like, what, what is that? I was like, oh, yeah, uh, Aztecs ate them. And then you looked up and in Japan, there's a restaurant that cooks them. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, I learned that's you know sometimes you learn you can eat things before you realize that you can treat them as an as a creature that you love them dearly, like Mitzli. She is a beautiful lady. She is our moist princess. Like I'm gonna be honest. Like I I'm mostly plant based, but I don't respect chickens or fish. So like I'm Me I'm neither. okay with eating that every once in a while. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I respect I I respect pigs a lot. Pigs are cool. Yeah, uh, I like that. If you leave them outside for like three months, they just turn into <laughs> feral boars. Uh, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> like, like you know. It's also, just like, like pigs are extremely close to humans. Also, like they eat humans. So yeah, like I know you don't have a problem with eating humans, but I do. Oh no, no, no. I think I mean look at what we've done. If anything, I only have a problem with eating humans because of the disease pieces of it. I which feel is like why, you're just, which is I why pork like can pass on weak. a lot of parasites to you. You are just weak. I don't want parasites, Jesse. Guess what? Parasites don't get you if you're strong. Okay, cool. Good for you, yeah. Jesse. <laughs> yeah, I built. Not only am I built different. You know what? I, I I eat the food off of parasites. I just Google. I eat all their food. <laughs> Five months later, you're just filled with tapeworms. Just yeah. They do an X-ray. <laughs> and they're like they're everywhere. Like you know where there's supposed to be bones here. All I can see are tapeworms. <laughs> oh God, that's another thing. Getting a tapeworm is ugh. Oh, that was a fad diet for a little bit. I know. And so, like, that's the thing. So tapeworms can travel to your brain. They found You know one, what else can travel to my brain? Uh, serotonin. A lot of things. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. So but, maybe, yeah. maybe it replaces serotonin. I also heard, like, a story about a, a man in China who had a two-foot-long one in his brain. I was like, no, thank you. I'm good for today. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, if you prepare the human well yeah obviously but also like like i'm not i'm not a fucking savage i cook my meat yeah i just like gross anyways okay whatever i think the problem is is that i look at like what i eat every day and i'm like ew (laughs) 
<laughs> no, like I mean, is it better than what you like? I'm good. I'm just gonna say if I if I just straight up like chow down on a fascist tomorrow, it's not oh, no, better than I half the stuff I you. eat. If it was a fascist, I would support you all the way, Jesse. Okay, I would. Like, I would be holding your grilling tools so that you could use them at any moment, like a like an assistant for a surgeon. Have I have I discussed how I'm gonna get rid of all the yeah the the, yeah. Uh, the, the leftist version of Day of the Rope, which I just uh, yeah it's it's day of we the just grill. Wanna, the day of the grill <laughs> yeah. where we where we butcher and then cook and then force feed a fascist to the next one in line yeah until no. they're all gone. I will yeah. support you every way on that. Okay. I will shovel coal charcoal into the grill or you apple wake them wood up constantly? or whatever you want. <laughs> Like we we wake them up and we force them to watch, or like they just uh they 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 get hit bad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they get hit bad. <laughs> nice, very obtuse. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, we can we can specialize, you know. <clears throat> okay, All right. Let's get back to this art twink and his spooky dreams. Also, by the way, RISD still exists and is extremely expensive to go to. Okay. I've been there. It's very beautiful. Uh, but yeah, very expensive to go to. It's one of the best design schools in the world. I know that because I wanted to go there at some point. And then I looked at the tuition and I was like, mm, no, <laughs> I got better things to do with my time. All right. Never mingling much with his kind, he had dropped gradually from social visibility and was now known only to a group of esthetes from other towns. Even the Providence Art Club, anxious to preserve its conservatism, had found him quite hopeless. What a bunch of fucking squares. I don't know, like, I don't understand. These, like, again, like, I feel like all these people just, like, need to grow up and learn. Not only know what's weird, actually weird. Like, also, imagine, like, okay. fuck some fish people. <laughs> like, okay, imagine, imagine, like, taking one of these squares to the future, and just showing them, like, two pages of Rule 24. I mean, 34. Just two pages. HP wrote a story about this. It was called He. <laughs> we didn't read it, because it was gross and racist. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, because he basically takes that dude to the future, and there's, like, a big rave going on, and he's like, Whoa. I'm just like, this Whoa. just sounds, sounds like a festival, dude. Yeah, <laughs> it it literally, like, yeah, it was like a bunch of people dancing and there was, like, rhythmic music playing. Like, yeah, that's just a rave, buddy. Whatever. Yeah, I used to go to those all the time. Sometimes you take E or MDMA and, like, it's real fun. Put on some beads. Have some jungle juice. Take some MDMA. It's okay. You're gonna yeah. have fun. Yeah, like, borrow a lot of happiness from the next couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe they'll play Robo Kitty. Who knows? <laughs> and I'll still be in denial about how kind of how racist, uh, how racist Die Artwood is, even though I still really like their music. I uh, know. I after like all the gross shit about Ninja came out, I'm like, no, thank you. Uh, I know it's it's. I've got it's better was... things to do with my time. I I have a lot of good memories at wait raves. Regarding, it's hard for me to decouple that. But yeah, but whatever. Uh, yeah. Back Let's to go. the back to the art twink dreams. On the occasion of the visit, ran the professor's manuscript. The sculptor abruptly asked for the benefit of his host's archaeological knowledge in identifying the hieroglyphics on the boss relief. He spoke in a dreamy, stilted manner, 
which suggested pose and alienated sympathy, and my uncle shewed some sharpness in replying, for the capicuous freshness of the tablet implied kinship with anything but archaeology. Young Wilcox's rejoinder, which impressed my uncle enough to make him recall and record it verbatim, was of a fantastically poetic cast, which must have typified his whole conversation, in which I have since found highly characteristic of him. He said, It is new, indeed, for I made it last night in a dream of strange cities and dreams, or older than brooding Tyre, or the contemplative Sphinx, or garden-girdled Babylon. It was then that he began that rambling tale which suddenly played upon a sleeping memory and won the fevered interest of my uncle. There had been a land for some years. Oh, whoops. There had been a slight earthquake tremor the night before. The most considerable felt in New England for some years, and Wilcox's imagination had been keenly affected. Upon retiring, he had an unprecedented dream of great cyclopean cities of titan blocks and sky-flung monoliths, and dripping with green ooze and sinister with latent horror. Hieroglyphics had covered the walls and pillars, and from some undetermined point below had come a voice that was not a voice, a chaotic sensation which only fancy could transmute into sound but which he attempted to render by the almost unpronounceable jumble of letters, Cthulhu Batagan. This verbal jumble was the key to the recollection which excited and disturbed Professor Engel. He questioned the sculpture with scientific minuteness, and studied with almost frantic intensity the bas-relief on which the youth had found himself working. Chilled and clad in only his night robes, when waking had stolen bewilderingly over him. My uncle blamed his old age, Wilcox afterwards said, for his slowness in recognizing both hieroglyphics and pictorial design. Many of his questions seemed highly out of place to this visitor, especially those which tried to connect the latter with strange cults or societies, and Wilcox could not understand the repeated promises of silence which he had offered in exchange for an admission of membership in some widespread mystical or paganly religious body. When Professor Engel became convinced that the sculptor was indeed ignorant of any cult or system of cryptic lore, he besieged his visitor with demands for future reports of dreams. This bore regular fruit, for after the first interview, the manuscript records daily calls of the young man during which he related startling fragments of nocturnal imagery, whose burden was always some terrible cyclopean vista of dark and dripping stone, with subterrene voice or intelligence shouting, shouting monotonously in enigmatical sense impacts inscribable save as gibberish. The two sounds most frequently repeated were those rendered by the letters Cthulhu, and relay. On March 23rd, the manuscript continued. Wilcox failed to appear, and inquiries at his quarters revealed that he had been stricken with an obscure sort of fever and taken to the home of his family in Waterman Street. He had cried out in the night, arousing several other artists in the building, and had manifested 
Since then, only alternations of unconsciousness and delirium. So, so real quick, what would you have to to, to uh, scream to arouse a bunch of art students? I mean, Socrates was smelly, and nobody liked him. Well, I was gonna say what would make them horny if you screamed it out. Oh, that's um... what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I got some Donatello sculptures in here. <laughs> They'd be like, "Where is the? Is it the one of the the naked David? I want to see it." I oh, have a ooh. satisfying life where you can do what you love. Whoa! Hold the fuck up! I have a grant from I the will government pay you for the thing that you're good at. Who did the? Uh, who did that Lucifer uh, statue that was too sexy? Um, I'm I don't looking- know. A lot of them are sexy. <laughs> Lucifer statue too hot. It's one of the things that pops up. Apparently, if you uh look up uh that hot fish from uh, Nemo from Finding Nemo, it's the same fish each time. Like it pops up as a search result. Joseph Geefs. Yo, I got a Joseph Geefs in here. They're like, where? I want to see the sexy devil. Guys, brooding. Ugh, so hot. I'm trying to remember who did the uh. The St. Teresa statue where she is obviously orgasming. Didn't she also, like, really Mm. hate black people? No, that's the other St. Teresa. Oh, okay. So the bad one, that's a good one. Or, I mean, they might also be bad. But, you know. No. I don't know. There's a lot of shitty people out there. (laughs) No, uh, the ecstasy of St. So St. Teresa, um, there's two St. Teresas. There's St. Teresa, which is the old, um, uh, like uh, a Renaissance saint, and then there's the modern Saint Teresa that we all know, who is a shitty, horrible person, as it turns out. Yeah, it also turns out Gandhi was kind of shitty too. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> no. If you look up the ecstasy of Saint Teresa, there's her story, and also the incredibly sexy statue of her being penetrated by an angel. I mean, obvious. It's obviously sexy. It's called the ecstasy. Oh, Bernini, that's who did it. Of course it was fucking Bernini who made a sexy statue for the church. That's all he did. Let's <laughs> make sexy statues for the church. Sometimes, listen, that's all you need. <laughs> Just make sexy statues for the church. They pay you. You can live your life. <laughs> My uncle at once telephoned the family, and from that time forward kept close watch of the case calling often at the Thayer Street office of Dr. Toby, whom he learned to be in charge. The youth's furbile mind apparently was dwelling on strange things, and the doctor shuddered now and then as he spoke of them. They included not only a repetition of what he had formerly dreamed, but touched wildly on a gigantic thing, miles high, which walked or lumbered about. He at no time fully described this object, but occasional frantic words, as repeated by Dr. Toby, convinced the professor that it must be identical with the nameless monstrosity he had sought to depict in his dream sculpture. Reference to this object, the doctor added, was invariably a prelude to the young man's subsidence into lethargy. His temperature, oddly enough, was not greatly above normal, but his whole condition was otherwise such as to suggest true fever rather than mental disorder. On April 2nd, at about 3 p.m., every trace of Wilcox's malady suddenly ceased. He sat upright in bed, astonished to find himself at home 
and completely ignorant of what had happened in dream or reality since the night of March 22nd. Pronounced well by his physician, he returned to his quarters in three days, but to Professor Engel he was of no further assistance. All traces of strange dreaming had vanished with his recovery, and my uncle kept no records of his night thoughts after the week of pointless and irrelevant accounts of thoroughly usual visions. Okay, who's the judge of that? <laughs> then, uh, yeah. Like, it's like, there's, I can think of a lot of things that are normal for me that are not normal for other people. Yeah, I was gonna say. Like, a lot of my dreams that are normal for me are not normal for other people, let me tell you. Yeah, like, like I consistently I consistently have a dream where, like, I get a robot leg. Oh, that sounds rad as fuck. Yeah, it's so cool until I wake up and realize I have a shitty you, leg you still. You don't have a robot <laughs> leg, duh! <laughs> Damn it! Yeah, <sighs> one of these days I'm gonna get a robot leg, and I'm gonna make it everyone's problem. Oh, I love it. Ugh. I just want to get rid of my shitty leg. You know what? I have a friend who also has, like, uh, bad knees. And it, he regularly says, I wish I had robot legs. <laughs> we can do it right now. We have the technology. It's just, they want you to pay for it. We shouldn't have to pay for rad robot legs. Yeah. Robot legs for free. Back my Kickstarter. <laughs> you get nothing. I get robot legs. My Kickstarter is, I get to be cooler than you. <laughs> Back my GoFundMe to get robot legs. <laughs> my leg, <laughs> there's not like, okay, only one of my legs has a problem, <laughs> but I feel like it would even it out. I like asymmetry, so that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> my GoFundMe to cut off my legs and get robot legs. Here, the first part of the manuscript ended. But references to certain of the scattered notes gave me such material for thought. So much, in fact, that only the ingrained skepticism then forming my philosophy can account for my continued distrust of the artist. The notes in question were those descriptive of the dreams of various persons covering the same period as that in which young Wilcox had his strange visitations. My uncle, it seems, had quickly instituted a prodigiously far-flung body of inquiries amongst nearly all the friends whom he could question, without impertinence, asking for nightly reports of their dreams, and the dates of any notable visions for some time past. The reception of his request seems to have been varied, but he must, at the very least, have received more responses than any ordinary man could have handled without a secretary. Oh, okay, I'm gonna be real honest a bit. It's like any ordinary man that had like any charisma at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> it turns out this dude was just a fucking weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> this dude like kind of sucked, but like people kept him around. <laughs> You know, like, some people have those friends that, like, it's just kind of suck. Like, It's true. I've had those friends before. Like, 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 you don't really even like them that much, but they became your weirdo, so, like, you'll, you know, stick up You're for like, them. You're like, you know what? I guess we'll keep them for now. <laughs> yeah. Like, not to reduce a person to, like, an animal, but they're kind of like a pet that you don't, like, it's yeah. like, it's like the pet cat that hates you. Yep. And you don't like 
a lot because it attacks you all the time, but like you keep them around. <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah, sure, they're a weirdo, but they're our weirdo. Yeah, sure, they're a piece of shit and I hate them all the time, but only I get to say that. Yeah, <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> this original correspondence was not preserved, but his notes formed a thorough and really significant digest. Average people in society and business, New England's traditional salt of the earth, gave an almost completely negative result. Though scattered cases of uneasy but formless nocturnal impressions appeared here and there. God damn it, Jesse! <laughs> Dude, just jerk off every once in a while. It's okay. Yeah, there was this one person who kept calling. <laughs> telling him their wet dreams they're like yeah it was really weird this time because it was a fish person and he's like please stop calling me I yeah like i woke I... up and it was like i peed but like it wasn't like pee he's like please stop calling me <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to hear about your sexy fish people dreams <laughs> yeah but like this time we weren't <laughs> It wasn't missionary. We're doing it another way. <laughs> it's like, please stop. <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> God damn it. Gave an almost completely negative result. Though scattered cases of uneasy but formless nocturnal impressions appear here and there. Always between March 23rd and April 2nd. The period of young Wilcox's delirium. Scientific men were little more affected, though four cases of vague description suggest fugitive glimpses of strange landscapes, and in one case, there is mentioned a dread of something abnormal. It was from- I wanna- Okay, sorry. <laughs> I, I take, uh, offense. I'm not even a man of science or a man of not science. I'm not even a man. I'm, I'm a person who exists. Uh, <laughs> and- like I like the science. The scientists back then believed that like take some cocaine, it'll get the ghosts <laughs> out of your blood. Like I mean, they they have germ theory, but like the rest of it's like almost not there. Like when you go to they, sleep at night because you were unmarried, your uterus wanders about, and that's why you're having problems. Like, they still thought, like, a vagina was, like, a mystical portal into, like, baby land. Yeah, they thought, uh, for a long time, they thought it was an inverted penis. And they just, they didn't know where babies were formed. They're like, they're somewhere in there, I guess. Who the fuck knows? It's not like we can look or anything. <laughs> it's not like we have things that can pull things open. Fun fact, the Greeks actually thought that, like, Men had babies, it, like sperm was babies. Like it was fully formed, you didn't need anything extra, and that like the women just carried them to gestation, basically. And so children were not considered like like mothers were not considered mothers of their children. Like they didn't think they had any like genetic part of the mother. Some people, some people had a whole thing where like they uh thought like. Like, you have to fuck a lot of dudes because all that sperm turns into a baby. Like, a single baby. Like, you just get all oh, the spunk shit. in there. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Yeah. I mean, I'm good. I mean, I think they were having a good time, so, you know. You know what? Let them do it. Like, as long as the train that was being ran was consensual, I'm okay with that. Yeah, actually. 
go ahead and run your train. Yeah. Do your bukkake. I don't care. Well, no, no, you have to go inside. Shh. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh. oh, I just realized. Okay. So, you know. Okay. So, you know, on Creepy Critters where I do baby fight. Well, we, we made a whole thing. Like, apparently the last uh, last toddler. The, the toddler that gets the killing blow gets to turn into, like, just a full-ass baby. Um, <laughs> oh, like, my God. Like, they just get to, they get to, like, live a life. But, like. Like, people for a long time just thought, like, vaginas were just, like, a portal to, like, babies. Yeah. And that's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, it just goes somewhere, I guess, and that's where babies are. All I know is that I stick it in here and it feels good, and then sometimes she lets me. <laughs> <sighs> Alright, let's get back to the twink dreams. We're almost oh, at the also- end of this. Also, I, I also I heard from TikTok that uh, there there are a lot there are a lot of opera songs about just like just giving head. Oh yeah, no. Yeah, I just and like graphic. It's just not. It's just in German. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I never just about up. sucking dick. Just uh, exploring some other person's molars. Really living the life, getting some es- esophagus. <laughs> Just going to pound town on the throat. <laughs> God, ugh. I was trying to think of more gross ways to explain, <laughs> to describe giving head. Releasing the white dragon. Just, uh, really churning that other person's butter. Just cranking it. <laughs> it was from the artists and poets that the pertinent answers came. And I know that panic would have broken loose had they been able to compare notes. As it was, lacking their original letters, half suspected the compiler of having asked leading questions, or of having edited the correspondence in corroboration of what he had latently resolved to see. That's why I continued to feel that Wilcox, somehow cognizant of the old data which my uncle had possessed, and been imposing from the veteran scientist. These responses from aesthetes told a disturbing tale. From February 28th to April 2nd, a large proportion of them had dreamed very bizarre things, the intensity of the dreams being immeasurably the stronger during the period of the sculptor's delirium. Over a fourth of those who reported anything reported scenes and half-sounds not unlike those which Wilcox had described, and some of the dreamers confessed acute fear of the gigantic nameless thing visible toward the last. One case, which the note describes with emphasis, was very sad. The subject, a widely known architect, with leanings towards theosophy and occultism, went violently insane on the date of young Wilcox's seizure, and expired several months later after incessant screamings to be saved from some escaped denizen of hell. Had my uncle referred to these cases by name instead of merely by number, I should have attempted some corroboration and personal investigation, but as it was, I succeeded in tracing down only a few. All of these, however, bore out the notes in full. I have often wondered if all the objects of the professor's questioning felt as puzzled as I did this fraction. It is well that no explanation shall ever reach them. The press cuttings, as I have intimated, touched on the cases of panic, mania, 
and eccentricity during the given period. Professor Engel must have employed a cutting bureau, for the number of extracts was tremendous, and the sources scattered throughout the globe. There was a nocturnal suicide in London, where a lone sleeper had leaped from a window after a shocking cry. Here, likewise, a rambling letter to the editor of a paper in South America, where a fanatic deduces a dire future from visions he has seen. But no- nocturnal suicide sounds like a real bomb night. <laughs> just like, just <laughs> like, hey, yo, what's up? I'm... <laughs> it's just What's a, like up? it's like my wh- name's Archie it's... and welcome to Jackass. <laughs> no, no, nocturnal suicide is like whatever. Just like get, I'm gonna have sex until I die. That's uh, what's gonna happen. <laughs> it's happening right now. Dang, no, it's just some dude jumping from a roof. A dispatch from California describes a Theosophist colony as donning white robes in mass for some glorious fulfillment, which never arrives. Whilst items from India speak guardedly of serious native unrest towards the end of March. Voodoo orgies multiply in Haiti, and African outposts report ominous mutterings. American officers in the Philippines find certain tribes bothersome about this time. And New York policemen are mobbed by hysterical Levantines on the night of March 22nd through the 23rd. The west of Ireland, too, is full of wild rumor and legendary, and a fantastic painter named Ardois Bonneau hangs a blasphemous dream landscape in the Paris Spring Salon of 1926. And so numerous are the recorded troubles in insane asylums that only a miracle could have stopped the medical fraternity from noting strange parallelisms and drawing mystified conclusions. A weird bunch of cuttings, all told, and I can, at this date, scarcely envisage the callous rationalism with which I set them aside. But I was then convinced that young Wilcox had known of the older matters mentioned by the professor. End of chapter one. What I like about this is it does do a really good setup of, you know, the escalation of it. Like, the fact that they bring in the fact that Certain people who are, I'm gonna. Well, Lovecraft sees himself as an artist, smart person, artist, but like, whatever. But uh, but like, it's the artists, people who you know create things and have a little bit more imagination, are getting these dreams of these like weird, unexplainable things that they create, and then you can describe them. Uh, For some reason, I don't know uh, if that is an oxymoron. How Uh, could it all be connected? Yeah, it's. It's just real interesting mm-hmm. about, like, I would say that this is a good setup for for the first um, chapter. Because, like, you know, you have that first one, and then there was the, and then, you know, the, um, uh, the professor guy mm-hmm. was like, hey, what if more people are feeling this? And, like, more people are feeling that way. And it's, like, all over the world yeah. is happening. Yeah. And, and like, it, it. It does bring in this uh, feeling of like, well, first off, what's going on? Uh, because obviously, because uh, they had that line, like if they they would all go and they would all surely go mad if they could compare notes, because like they're seeing the same thing and it's like almost nightly for large groups of people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's cool. Yeah, and- I I love the setup of this first chapter. 
Um, I think like it. It's probably one of the best uh, buildups that he's done. Yeah, and you know, it's a good buildup to an ending that just you know is buck wild. <laughs> well, I'm I'm just gonna say it right now. Uh, Cthulhu wakes up and someone hits his stomach real bad with a bro, and he's just like, nope. <laughs> he's uh, you he's know? like, I'm leaving. <laughs> you know what? And I agree with him. But like, It's like when you stand up and you hit your head on something. Same. And then you just sit down and you're like, I guess I won't move. <laughs> I've, like, I, there, I straight up just like woke up and, and like I, I like tripped. And I'm just like, I'm not going to work today. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just not. You're like I can already tell that this day is gonna be a shit show. Yeah. Same. I'm glad. I'm glad Cthulhu, <laughs> one of the great old ones, can relate to us. <laughs> just like you know what? Uh, just got here. Things already fucked. I'm leaving. <laughs> there, I, like I, uh, like there's there are times where like I just miss the bus. And I'm just like, nope, not even gonna try. There was a couple times during school when I did that. <laughs> I like woke up. There was one day I woke up. I walked out to our because I walked to school all the time. I walked down our driveway. I slipped on some ice and I was like, no. <laughs> and I went back inside, emailed my teacher. I was like, I'm not coming to class today. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, I was like a junior. So they were like, whatever, who gives a shit? Just show up next week. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, <sighs> yeah. I'm so glad that we can relate to Cthulhu. Yeah, you know, the Elder Gods are just like us. <laughs> they have bad days, too. <laughs> Alright, yeah, this was a good chapter. Um, how do we end these again? I think we just kind of, like, We just end, end them, them, I think, yeah. So stay tuned yeah, because- for chapter two of Call of Cthulhu. It's gonna get buck wild. Yeah, we're we're gonna... We're gonna go down to the bayou. Yeah, there's gonna be some bayou shenanigans. Are you ready? We're gonna kill thousands of nutria rats because that's what we should do because they're invasive <laughs> species. I think and we're literally. <laughs> I think the last time we read this, we we did like a half hour conversation about how nutria just... rats are destroying the South, which is not wrong. I'm just saying the apocalypse is going to be the like the climate apocalypse. It's going to be the Boran Nutrarat apocalypse. It's happening right now. Or Nutrarats and murder hornets. Uh, murder hornets are okay. A little uh, less. Uh, no, okay. like like no, it's the Nutrarats. Like they they literally take away like shorelines because they eat anything green. Yeah. And they they breed like Nutrarats. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but um, yeah, so this has been fun. Come back for more. Uh, We're going to get into some exciting times in the bayou. Uh, All right. Have fun, everybody. Bye. Bye.